you want to earn your way to God into his favor? You, you want to earn your justification, your right standing before God? Just love God perfectly every moment of your life and love your neighbor as yourself. That's all you got to do. We realize there's no way. I've never done that. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. What does it mean to have the righteousness of Christ for salvation? Hello there, I'm Bill Wright, and today we continue the series titled Human Responsibility. How is a person made right with God? Through history, many would say it's up to them. The same is true today. You might believe if you do enough good works to outweigh the bad, well, then you'll be good with God. But what does the Bible say? In today's message, Tom unfolds how we as Christians are in right standing with God, not because we ourselves have earned any right standing through good works or merit, but solely based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. Let's find out more as we join our teacher now on The Word Unleashed. The righteousness of God is revealed, and it's the kind of righteousness that's from faith to faith. That is, is entirely faith. So a right standing before God that is arrived at by faith. As it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. There he introduces it. Go over to chapter 3, verse 21. When Paul finishes the bad news. You know, the gospel starts with the bad news. We all desperately need God's intervention because left to ourselves, we have no hope. We're all sinners, condemned sinners. When he gets to the good news, chapter 3, verse 21, this is what he writes. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. And, and this righteousness that I'm talking about, it's witnessed by the law and the prophets. It's in, it's in the Old Testament. What kind of righteousness, Paul? Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there's no distinction, for all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So how then can we who are sinners gain a right standing before God? Verse 24 is the key. We are justified. That is, we are declared right with God. We are declared right before God as a gift, by His grace, how? Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Specifically, verse 25, His crucifixion and what He accomplished in His death. He was a propitiation. He satisfied the just wrath of God against the sins of those who would believe in Him. That's the gospel. Now, understand that that's the way that we learn from Paul, we can gain a right standing before God. But that is not the only way people try to be justified before God. In fact, there are two completely opposite ways to attempt to gain a right standing before God. And that becomes crystal clear in the new section we're looking at. Go back to Romans chapter 9. Here, Paul contrasts two different kinds of righteousness, two different paths to justification. Let me show them to you. The first contrast comes in verses 30 and 31 of chapter 9. You'll notice in 
verse 30, he speaks of the righteousness which is by faith or out of faith. And then he contrasts it in verse 31 with the law of righteousness. We'll come back and explain that in a moment, but just see that contrast. Now go to chapter 10, verse 3. Here's here's the contrast again. You have God's righteousness and their own righteousness. And then the third contrast comes in chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. You'll notice in verse 5, there is the righteousness which is based on law. And then in verse 6, the righteousness based on faith. So you have these two kinds of paths to pursuing a right standing before God. One path is by faith, it's God's righteousness given to us. The other path is a righteousness pursued by obedience to the law. Now, just as he's done throughout this entire letter, Paul contrasts then these two entirely different approaches to being right with God. There are only, let me say this, there are only these two potential paths to try to be right with God. There is, first of all, a false kind of righteousness trying to gain a right standing with God based on your own efforts. Paul's going to deal with that at length. And then there is, secondly, the true kind of righteousness. This is where you seek to gain a right standing with God based on faith in the efforts of Jesus Christ, His life, His death, His resurrection. Those are the only two ways to pursue being right with God. Now, go back to verse 30 with that background. What shall we say then? that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, stop there. Gentiles did not pursue righteousness. Now, that is the understatement of the year. I mean, you remember chapter 1 where we learned of the, the moral condition of Gentiles, and we saw it is absolutely dreadful and disgusting. It is reprehensible. And we see that in our world. We see it today. But that's not what Paul is talking about here, because it's not true that no Gentiles pursue moral righteousness. In Paul's day and in our day, there are Gentiles who pursue a good moral life. That's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about how they live. He's talking, remember, in context about that forensic righteousness, our legal standing, a right standing before God. He's saying the Gentiles weren't pursuing a relationship with the true God. They were too busy worshiping their idols. They were without God in the world, Paul says in Ephesians. They didn't pursue being right with the true God, their creator, verse 30. They didn't pursue that, but... They attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. Now, the Greek word translated attained here means to grasp or to seize, sometimes even violently with force. This word doesn't speak of something you earn, but rather of something that suddenly becomes yours, that you eagerly take hold of, that you seize. It's even used in secular Greek, for receiving an inheritance, which obviously isn't something you earn. Something just 
given to you because you were born into that family or the person decided to give it to you. Paul says there were people who were not pursuing a right standing before God. They had no interest in pursuing a right standing before God. It hadn't even occurred to them to to ask how you obtain a right standing before God. And then, by God's providence, they heard the gospel. Some of you fall into this category. You heard the gospel, and you seized it. You grasped it. You took hold of it eagerly. Now, just to be clear, Paul adds at the end of verse 30, I'm talking about the righteousness which is by faith. Literally, which is out of faith, which is based on faith, which has its, its source in faith. Faith is indispensable in gaining a right standing before God. It is the only means or instrument by which we can take hold of the work of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, understand this. If you have a right standing before God, and if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, you do. You have that standing because you seized it in this way. You heard about the gift of righteousness, and you gladly, eagerly grabbed onto it, and you took hold of it. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ, this is the only way you'll ever be right with God, is if you seize or take hold of this message. It's by faith in Christ's work that Gentiles had gained the status of righteous, a right relationship with God. Now, go back to our text, because secondly, Paul points out, having pointed out that, that many Gentiles had in fact come to to gain this righteousness apart from God's law, he moves on to say, no Jews have gained righteousness through the law. Not one. Notice the fact in verse 31. He simply states it as a fact. But, here's the contrast with the Gentiles, but Israel pursuing a law of righteousness. Now understand this, There were and are exceptions to this, but Paul is saying as a whole that the Jewish people have pursued a law of righteousness. Now, Paul wasn't being anti-Semitic. He he was Jewish. He loved the Jewish people. We're going to see that. He's just stating the fact, the reality, that they pursued a law of righteousness. What does that mean? The obvious way to understand this expression is that it refers to righteousness gained by keeping God's law. It describes the pursuit of a right standing before God based on obedience to the Mosaic law. That's how many of the Jewish people in the first century thought. I think one of the clearest illustrations of that is Jesus' encounter in Matthew 19 with the rich young ruler. You remember there was a young man who was a ruler of the local synagogue. That says a lot about this guy. It was very unusual for someone of his age to have such a prestigious and influential position. He was obviously very spiritually zealous, a very mature young man. He was also wealthy. He had many possessions, specifically we're told, in land. And he comes running up to Jesus one day, and he says, Teacher, tell me what I must do You see his mindset here. What I must do to inherit eternal life. And you remember, 
Jesus responds by quoting several of the Ten Commandments to him. To which he responds, yeah, yeah, got all that. I've done that from my youth up. I've always done that. And Jesus responds, okay, there's just one thing you haven't done yet. I want you to sell everything you own. I want you to give the proceeds to the poor, and I want you to come follow me. Wow. Now, what was Jesus doing? Don't misunderstand. Jesus was not saying that every person who wants to come follow him must sell everything they have, give the proceeds to the poor. In fact, there are many examples in the New Testament where that's not true. There's specific instruction in 1 Timothy 6 to the rich as to what they're to do with it, and it's not to sell it all and give it to the poor. They're to be generous, yes, but this was unique. Well, why did Jesus tell this young man to do this? Well, he was doing two things. Jesus was, first of all, exposing this young man's flawed idea about how to pursue eternal life. He thought it was by what he did. And Jesus wants to give him an impossible command to show him it's not going to happen. Secondly, he wanted to show this young man that he hadn't really kept the commandments like he thought he'd kept them. Oh, I've kept all of those. Well, Jesus says, no, I want you to sell everything and give it to the poor and come follow me. What was Jesus telling him? He was saying, look, you don't really love your fellow man, and I'm going to show you that. Secondly, you don't really love God because I'm telling you to give all that up and come follow me, and you're not willing to do that. So you don't love your fellow man, and you don't love God. You haven't really kept the commands at all. But that was the mindset. That was the thinking. That's what, to use Paul's words here in Romans 9, that's what Israel pursued, a law of righteousness, righteousness by their own efforts. And he says, Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, notice this, did not arrive at that law. It's a really picturesque expression. The Greek verb that Paul uses describes running in a race. Running in a race and making every effort, straining every muscle to reach the finish line, but never arriving. Never arriving. We've all seen those tragic scenes in the Olympics where some poor runner, where he or she has spent their entire life life preparing for that moment and they start the race with great enthusiasm and eagerness and excitement about the potential and then something tragic happens in the in the flow of the race and maybe they injure themselves or there's a fall or something else happens and they never finish the race Israel started this race with the full intention of being justified before God, but Paul says they never arrived. They never arrived at the goal of a right standing before God based on their obedience to God's law. That's simply the fact. But why is that true? Well, notice the reasons in verses 32 and 33. There are two of them. First of all, They didn't reach the finish line because they stumbled over the means of justification. They stumbled over the means. Notice the ultimate reason for their their failure to gain a right standing before God. Verse 32 says, because they did not pursue it by faith. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to pursue the law of God by faith? Well, I can't put it any better than one author did. Listen to this. The answer must be surely 
that it is to respond to the claim to faith which God makes through the law. And it must include accepting without evasion or resentment the law's criticism of one's own life, recognizing that one can never so adequately fulfill its righteous requirements as to put God in one's debt, accepting God's mercy and forgiveness, and so beginning to be released from one's self-centeredness and turned in the direction of a humble obedience that is entirely free of self-righteousness. That's what the law does. And that's what it means to pursue the law by faith. It means you let the law do what God designed the law to do. Their problem, verse 32 says, is they did not pursue it by faith, but they pursued the law, the law of righteousness, as though it were by works. In other words, they misunderstood the means by which they would be made right with God. They thought it was their works. They thought it was their obedience to God's law that would earn their justification. You see, in the end, they misunderstood the entire purpose of God's law. They thought the law, keeping the law, was their means to being right with God, to being justified, to gaining a right standing before Him. And that was all wrong. In fact, go over to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And notice... Verse 19, Paul has just been talking about the the promises of the gospel made to Abraham. And having said of the importance of the promise, some people are going to say, well, what, what about the law? What role did it serve? Verse 19, why the law then? Why did God give his law? It was added because of transgressions. God gave it because of sins. Why? Verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given, which was able to impart life, then God's law would have done it. Then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But that couldn't happen. So what was the law about? Verse 22, the Scripture, the law, has shut up everyone under sin. The Greek word there is a word which means to enclose us on every side. That's what the law did. The law said, okay, You want to earn your way to God into His favor? You you want to earn your justification, your right standing before God? Here it is, very simple. Just love God perfectly every moment of your life. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's all you got to do. It closed us in on every side. We realized there's no way. I've never done that, much less every moment of my life. And so it closed us in. Verse 23, before faith came, I think he's talking both about uh, in, the, in the sense of before Christ came, so sort of redemptive history, I think he's also talking about before faith came into our lives, I think, thinking of our own individual histories. Before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, The law, here it is, has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. This was the purpose of the law. It was to take our hands and show us just how bad we really are. 
okay, you want to you satisfy God and his, his holiness and his righteousness? Then here's what you need to do. And by doing that, it led us to Christ because we saw how utterly impossible it would be to earn it on our own. That's the role of the law. So they misunderstood the purpose of the law. But that's not all they misunderstood. They misunderstood the demands of the law because they actually thought they kept it well enough to earn their own salvation. But that could never happen. God's standard is way too high for that. Go back to Romans chapter 2. Look at verse 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. You actually have to do it. Oh, and no one has. Chapter 3, verse 10, there is none righteous, not even one. So nobody's done it. In fact, notice verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody's met the standard. James 2.10 says, Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. If you could actually keep every command of God but one, and you broke that one, you would fall short of God's demands for perfection. In fact, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, we read this, For as many as, that is, as many He says, for as many as are of the works of the law, that is, who rely on the works of the law for their justification, they're under a curse. If you're here this morning and you think you're getting to heaven by your own efforts and works, you're under a curse. Why? Here's the Old Testament. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Unless you keep them all, You're cursed. Only Jesus Christ fulfilled all righteousness. Only He kept God's law perfectly. It's only in Him that the demands of the law can be completely met in our case. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You see... It's only as we repent and believe in Jesus Christ that we can gain a right standing before God. Israel pursued a righteousness based on their own works, but they never arrived because they stumbled over the means of justification. They thought it was their own righteousness instead of the gift of Jesus' righteousness given to the believing sinner. Charles Hodge writes, They would not submit to the method of justification proposed by God and persisted in trusting to their own imperfect works. Now, folks, no passage could be more practical for us than this one because this is still the reason most religious people, both Jews and Gentiles, don't believe the gospel. It may be the reason you don't believe the gospel. Listen, don't misunderstand the purpose of God's law. It is not for your justification. It is for your condemnation to show you you need Jesus Christ. And don't underestimate the demands of the law. It's perfect love for God, perfect love for others. 
100% of the time, and it's not just about your behavior, it's about your heart, including your motives. Let God's law show you that you are like the rest of us, a sinner, and you have no hope in yourself. And let God's law, whether written on your heart or written in the Bible, lead you to Jesus Christ, your only hope of righteousness. That's the gospel. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part two of his series, Human Responsibility. Tom will have part three for you on our next program. Join us then, won't you? Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional series from The Word Unleashed. That's thewordunleashed.org. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Music